I'm Ashley. I'm Jen. And I'm Sarah. And we are Unabridged, the podcast where teachers take on books. Join us each week for bookish episodes and check out our website, unabridgedpod.com, where you can find lots of new bookish content every week. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at unabridgedpod and message us there or see our website to get plugged into the unabridged community. You want opinions about books? We've got them. And welcome to Unabridged. This is episode 205. And today we are talking about Ellen Montgomery's Anne of Green Gables. This is our November book club pick. First, I want to remind you that we have a partnership with Libra FM that we are really excited about. Libra FM, if you're not familiar, is an audiobook service that supports local bookstores. And they have amazing picks that they promote every month. You can also be part of their ALC program, advanced listening copy program, and you can get a sneak peek at some books. But we have a deal with them that if you go to our website, unabridgedpod.com partners, and click the link from there, you can get two audiobooks for the price of one and your first month's subscription, which is a great deal. So check out LibroFM if you haven't. And if you'd like to get a great deal, you can go to our website. Again, that's unabridgedpod.com slash partners. All right, before we get started with our discussion of Anne of Green Gables, we're going to do our bookish check-in. Sarah, what are you reading? I am reading right now Andrea Bartz's We Were Never Here. I saw this on Instagram and then I was one of Reese's book club picks and I've actually read another of her books. So I picked that up and I've just started it, but basically what it is about is two best friends who've been best friends a long time, but then they kind of go their separate way, like their separate ways in their careers, but they always meet every year for a trip that they go on. And what happens at the very beginning is they're in Chile with each other and you get this sense that on the prior trip, or there is something that the two of them know but that that's not being discussed and especially one of the main characters her name's emily she's like thinking about something in her mind but not like telling the reader or like fully it's not fully coming to fruition so that's where i am in the story i I know a little bit more about it from reading the jacket cover but i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say anything because i just think that sometimes like thrillers or mysteries like this are better if you just unfurl them as you go but it's so far the premise is really good the writing's good and it's really interesting you can tell that emily the one the one friend is the person that needs to like always be brought out of her shell and then Kristen is the person who's like the life of the party and is up for anything and is risky and daring and but you know that there is something between them that has occurred but you don't but I don't know yet what it is so I'm enjoying it and again that is Andrea Bartz's We Were Never Here. Sounds very intriguing. (laughs) Yeah it's been a little while since I read a good thriller so maybe I'll put that on my list. Ashley what are you reading? So I have just barely started this one, but I've been excited to read it. And it's TJ Clune's Under the Whispering Door. This one just came out in September, so it's a recent release. And the main reason I was excited to read it is because I absolutely loved The House in the Cerulean Sea. It's one of my most favorite reads of the year and in 2020. And then just one that I've thoroughly enjoyed and thought a lot about after 
reading it. It was really impactful to me. And I loved the messaging in it about community and your sense of place and how being different can be a strength and things like that. So I really loved that and was eager to read more of Clune's work. I can't say much because right at the beginning, it's a little bit disorienting for the reader. So I, what I know, like Sarah was saying about the book jacket, what I know from having heard about this one is that it is about after death and it has to do with dealing with the life that you have lived and accepting things as they are is kind of my impression. I've read things that talk about how Clune wrote this in part to work through what we as a community and as a global world are working through with all of the loss related to COVID-19 and the pandemic impact on everyone. And so I think it's a lot of exploration of death and grief and what those things look like, but it sounds like that sounds really dark. And my impression is that it's it's quirky and fun, which is how his other book was for me. And so I'm really interested to read it. And I know that the main character is working through that process of journeying into the afterlife. And his other book was, I mean, the one that I read was Fantasy on the House in the Cerulean Sea, but it is a really inviting read for people who are not big on fantasy. And I wonder if that's the case here too, but I can't really tell yet. So I'm excited to read that one and can't wait to see what happens. So again, that's TJ Clunes Under the Whispering Door. I just finished that one. Oh. Uh, get, get your tissues ready. Oh, well, yeah. I was hoping it wouldn't and be super I'm sad, <laughs> but uh-huh. I know I was like, ah, oh, well, geez. Yeah. It was really, I enjoyed it a lot, but yeah, yeah. I felt I'll be interested to see what you think. <laughs> What about you, Jen? What are you reading? So I am reading Dexter Filkins's The Forever War, which I would say is also not an uplifting read, (laughs) but it is very, very good. I'm reading this one with Read with Tony as a buddy read, and I've read the first half and we had a great discussion about the first half. So this was published in 2008 and Filkins is a journalist who was overseas and it goes back to well part of it takes place in iraq part of it takes place in afghanistan and it's told in a really interesting way one of the things we talked about is in the chapters he's just sort of putting all of these different experiences and at first it's not clear what is connecting them all except that these are things that happened to him while he was reporting But as you read, the thread becomes clear. And so he's considering the role of the United States in those areas and what the United States hoped to accomplish, the way that a lot of times we weren't considering what they needed, what they wanted, what the people in those in Iraq and Afghanistan wanted and needed, but instead what we thought that they should have. And It's amazing to me, and I guess this is what journalists do, but it's amazing to me the level of trust that the citizens there give him and the truths that they tell him when it is very apparent that they are masking what they truly think with a lot of, you know, with the military who's over there. It is really affecting. There is a lot of focusing in on individual people and their stories. I wouldn't say there's an overall arc. There's no one person in Iraq or Afghanistan that we're following, but the accumulation of all of these individual experiences is really 
really moving, really fascinating at times enraging at times, very sad. And I'm just, the writing is absolutely brilliant. So yeah, I, I, it's weird to say I'm enjoying a book like that, but I'm appreciating the book a lot. And I think, I don't know if he has other books published or if he mainly writes long form journalism. He was writing for the New York times at one point. I have not done research to see if he's still there or not, but yeah. So that is the forever war and it is amazing so far. Wow, Jen, that sounds really powerful and like something that I would be interested to learn more on the inside of. I can, it sounds like really illuminating. Yeah. I think with what's been in the news, we're recording this a little before the release, but with what's been in the news lately here, it's really resonating. And I think at first I was worried about the distance from its publication date, but I actually think that's been helpful. That's been good. So it's more background than it is a commentary on current events for obvious reasons. But it's amazing how little changed from 2008 to 2021. Mm. And again, sad and enraging there too. So yeah. Wow. All right. Well, there's no easy way to transition from that to Anne of Green Gables. So I'm just going to do it. So our book club pick today is Ella Montgomery's Anne of Green Gables. This was first published in 1908. And it's about an orphan named Anne Shirley, who is taken in by older siblings, not her older siblings, but older siblings, Marilla and Matthew Cuthbert on their beautiful farm on Canada's Prince Edward Island. Anne is dreamy and talkative and precocious, and she soon charms not only Marilla and Matthew, but also their community, becoming an integral part of Avonlea. So to start off, we're going to do our overall impressions. Ashley, what did you think of this one? I was saying to Jen and Sarah right before we recorded that I had a sneaking suspicion as I was reading that I have in fact read this before. <laughs> and and if I have not, I've at least seen the adaptation. I mm-hmm. I have this like memory of some characters that I'm pretty sure I didn't create in my mind. So <laughs> so it was interesting because a lot of it like the Raspberry Cordial, that scene, when I was reading it, I was like, I have experienced this before and I remember what is happening here. So it's almost a little deja vu. Like, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I, I have found that sometimes with classics that other people really cherish when I'm experiencing them as an adult, I find that I don't have the emotional affectation that other people experience one way or the other. So like, I, I do like it. I really enjoyed it. I had fun reading about Anne's experience. And I listened. So I should say that I had fun listening about Anne's experiences. And I loved seeing her grow up through time. And all of that was really interesting. But I didn't feel deeply impacted by it either. I think that again, if I had been Apparently, I experienced it on some level as a child, but if I had experienced it as a teenager, I think I probably would have felt differently about it. And I should say that also, it's interesting how our childhood experiences color the way we feel about some things. And Mm -hmm. so my grandmother, I'm not going to get into a whole lot of personal details here, but I will just basically (laughs) say that 
I had a complicated, my whole family had a complicated relationship with my grandma and on one of my parents' sides. And she deeply loved Anne of Green Gables. And so I think that that had some impact for me as a kid that then affected how I felt about it at the time. So again, I have Mm -hmm. these like memories, but they're kind of colored by maybe some feelings that I wanted to like something different than what she liked or that it was like forced upon me in some way. Whereas like reading it now, I'm like, oh, I can see how you would share that with a child because it's comforting to see somebody who gets into a lot of trouble, but has a good heart and good intentions, you know, whereas Mm -hmm. like that was not my impression (laughs) before. So so that's a lot of baggage, I think, that I brought to the book. (laughs) There you go. I'm just going to work it out. Marianne has a lot on her shoulders. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Just going to work it all out on the podcast here. (laughs) But no, I really enjoyed it. It was was a great listening experience, especially. Yeah. Sarah, what did you think? So I'm kind of opposite of Ashley. I thought that I had read it. I've had a beautiful copy that was gifted to me by my grandma, whom she doesn't have a particular affinity toward Anna Green Gables, but she just has an affinity toward classics and beautiful things. So she got me this really beautiful copy of it. And it's been on my shelf. I mean, I've it's moved from my parents' home to apartments to my home now. And I just thought I had read it. And so I I actually decided that I was going to, upon Jen's recommendation, fire up an Audible subscription just for one month so that I could (laughs) listen to the Audible exclusive edition of Rachel McAdams reading it because I love her. I think she is amazing, a great actress. And I mean, her audio is fantastic, especially the way she reads Anne. Like I said, I thought I had read it, but as as I got into the book, I'm like, oh, I think like... Anne of Green Gables has always been in my periphery, but I didn't, I didn't know the story. And I was, I was just captured by the whole story and I loved it. And I think, I mean, I think a lot has to be given to Rachel McAdams in her interpretation of the dialogue and all that stuff. But I just loved it. And I think like I, this moment in my life, I'm at, t- at a time where I want to feel joy when I'm reading. And oftentimes just because of things that are happening in our world and stuff, we choose books that mirror that. And so that oftentimes that's kind of, they're, they're not typically joy invoking. And I just felt so much joy reading it. And I just loved, I loved Anne's precociousness. I just thought it was such a beautiful story. I just found it like a breath of fresh air because it's been it's been a minute since I've just been able to just like read and enjoy a like really sweet, tender story. And I mean, and even, even though there was some sadness, I still just like at the end, I just loved Anne and I just really liked it. I found a kindred spirit and I, I now like I get all these references and all of that stuff. So I just really loved it. It was a great experience for me. And it's like, I think it's a case of right book, right time, right narrator, all of that. So I really enjoyed it. How about you, Jen? Yeah. I know you've read it before. (laughs) Yeah, I've read this one a lot. This is like an old friend for me. So I first read this, I think in elementary school. And I was obsessed with Ella Montgomery. My best friend, Jodi, and I read all of her books. So if you love Anne, there are more books in her series. And then there's another series about this girl named Emily. And it's equally wonderful. But yeah, it's that stepping back into a story that you know well. And it felt like being hugged. I just love Matthew and Marilla so much. I love watching Anne become friends and find Diana and the whole thing with Gilbert. And yeah, I just, I think what struck me is 
just how generous Ellen Montgomery is with Anne's spirit. And I think she just really gets her and so helps us see how earnest she is and wanting to be better and in wanting to have a home and find this beautiful place and also how invested she is in finding wonder in everything. I think it's really beautiful that she just has this spirit of adventure. And if the wonder isn't there, she's going to find it or create it if she has to. And yeah, so I just really love it. And I think it's one that stands up. So I've read the book itself. I love the Rachel McAdams version. There's a gorgeous graphic novel adaptation that is absolutely beautiful. I gave that one to my niece because I'm trying to get everybody to love Anne. And yeah, so I, I think for this one, Ashley and I had kind of the opposite experience. For me, this one is all positive memories. And yeah, so I started that first page. It made me happy from page one. Well, and also like I, like I said, since I had thought I had read it and then I didn't, it was like this like surprising, <laughs> awesome story for me. I was really surprised at Ellen Montgomery and how, like it was written in 1908 and how she had this, this instilled feminism and like some of the things that she was portraying and like something when Marilla said, I want you to be able to take care of yourself and not need a man to and do that. And like that Anne wanted to go to college and like Marilla and Matthew were totally behind her. I loved all of that so much. And I just thought, wow, when we were talking about the classics from episodes ago, and when we talked about Jane Austen and how like she was kind of revolutionary for her time and how she was writing women and writing some of the storylines were kind of scandalous for the time. And I thought like when I was reading this, especially since it's more geared toward younger people and that that Ellen Montgomery is putting that message in there for girls. I love that so much. It was really, it really struck me as I was reading. Yeah. All right. Well, we are going to move on now to what worked for us. And Sarah, you are up first. What works for you? Well, I probably should have just saved that little <laughs> monologue <laughs> for this part, but I can find something else. I think for me, I love the laugh out loud moment so much. And like I said, when Rachel McAdams was reading, she gave this breathiness to Anne and this exuberance that just, you know, brought her to life for me. And just some of the stuff that like when she dyed her hair and she and how dramatic she is about everything. I just chuckled. Like I would be cooking dinner listening and I would just chuckle at her, like her escapades and the way that she never wanted to back down from anything. So she got herself into all those precarious positions, but it was just so fun. And I just, I loved all that. That was my favorite. I love that. I could chuckle and laugh out loud as I was reading. Yeah. Ashley, what's one thing that worked for you? Yeah, there were a lot of things that related to Anne's character that I really loved, but I think that something that really worked for me is Anne's relationship with Marilla and Matthew. And I mean, I absolutely loved her with Matthew, and I just thought that was so sweet. And his bashfulness and his desire to please her and to look out for her, I thought, I mean, I just found that incredibly endearing. But then I also loved it with Marilla, and I felt like I understood the tension that she felt between this adoration that she had for Anne and this desire to make sure that she was doing the right thing to bring her up properly and the pressure that she felt for that. And so I thought all of that just really worked for me because I think that, and again, was something maybe that struck me differently than the somewhat hazy memories I have of this as a child, that like, I, I remember those characters 
from when I was a kid, but I did not understand and appreciate them in the way that I do now. And I think that part of what I find so beautiful now is the thought of that connection to the older generation for a young person and how unbelievably beautiful that is. And I mean, certainly all that we see in the end for that, both with Matthew and also with Marilla and how happy Anne is to be able to care for her in her old age. I just thought all of that was just so beautifully done and so sweet and and believable and that it paints a picture of community that I think is so rich and just shows how we can really enrich each other's lives in such a meaningful way and how she does that for them at a time that I'm sure that they did not expect something like that to enrich their lives. And so I just thought that was so beautiful. So yeah, that was one of my favorite parts. Yeah, I love that. I love that they take in an orphan, expecting it to be this one-way relationship that the orphan would gain from them. And then, of course, they find themselves changed. And I just think their recognition of that is so lovely. And yeah, really, really sweet. My fate, one of my favorite parts of the book was when Matthew went and was <laughs> trying to buy the dress for, for Anne. <laughs> yes. And I, it was just so sweet and precious. And the fact that he finally, like, he bought all that stuff, but never got the dress, but that he knew that how important those puff sleeves were to her. And even after when have he gave her the dress and then Marilla recognize even though she thought it was like too frivolous but that in her mind she's thinking about how pretty that Anne's gonna look and she's still feeling this tender feeling I just I loved all of that so much in that relationship between Marilla and Matthew and Anne was just it was just so sweet and that scene I loved the 80s adaptation of this book and that scene the the man I don't know the actor's name I should look it up but the man who plays Matthew just captures his spirit so well and just that painful shyness and yet that resolve and what it takes for him to put himself out there and to do these things. I just, yeah, I love that adaptation. The casting is amazing. Oh my goodness. And I love how Anne knows like both of them, but she is equally exuberant with both of them and tells them both everything. And like, and <laughs> I, I just pick like when I was reading and the way that, that the lines were delivered, I was just picturing this exuberant girl and this like very meek and shy uh, older man and him just like being so, but they, they were just both so caught up in her. I just, it was just so beautiful. I just loved it. And I'm so happy that I hadn't read it and I got to experience it as an adult because I do think I appreciated all of those things a little more. Mm-hmm. I would kind of chuckle on the page when it was a full page with no paragraph breaks. <laughs> I would know that Anne was in one of her just raptures. Monologue. I'd be like, okay, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then Marilla would always say something really dry at the end. <laughs> Marilla. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so sorry, I, I jumped in there. But what works for me, I, I mean, so much, but I think, so one thing that starts early is this contrast between Anne and Rachel Lind, <laughs> who I think is also a fantastic character. And they have this knockdown drag out at the beginning. But I think it's this contrast this, between someone who is very judgmental, which emphasizes even more Anne's openness. And I think Anne is so open to so many kinds of people. And she is just, not that she's, there are people she doesn't like, but I think she is so open to finding the good in people. You see that with Diana's great aunt and you see that she's just always putting herself out there 
and trying to draw people in everyone but Gilbert, of course. But I, yeah, I really love that about her and that she is just finding kindred spirits everywhere, I think is a beautiful thing about her as a child. And then as she grows older, you see that that spirit doesn't go away, just like her talkativeness doesn't completely go away, but it's all tempered a little bit with adulthood. I think she does a great job of showing her grow up. So yeah, I really love just that openness to finding people, finding connections, even with people who may not on the surface seem like they would be natural kindred spirits. I also love just her naming of everything. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. I felt like we saw that even when she goes to Queens and she's always trying to continue to make relationships work that we can see are just kind of a lost cause, but it's it's so endearing about her that she is willing to do that and that she finds a way to see the positive in those, even when they're less than perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I loved all the Gilbert stuff too. I didn't know. I didn't, like I said, I mean, I just have these like memories of this, but I didn't remember the, you know, the unnaming and that like she would never say his name and stuff. And so like all of that was just like so lovely. And I also thought it was, hilarious but also but resonating when she dug her heels in at the bridge and she immediately realizes she's made a uh-huh. mistake but she it takes her years to to admit that <laughs> i think like that that happens and you know he it's just so interesting to see him from her perspective and her uncertainty about how to move forward and and then you know the end with that is really i think the ending of this book is very satisfying and that part as well was just so satisfying that even though they had been you know he'd been her enemy basically that whole time but they had been moving in their lives in this parallel direction and that he was always looking out for her even though she treated him that way (laughs) i thought was just really great and how we push each other that like even when you are competitive with someone that a lot of times that is something that brings about fulfillment i mean i thought all of that was just really great and i love that 360 moment when marilla tells about her relationship with his dad yes she had had this kind of budding relationship and then she dug her heels in like Anne. and i think like that shows a lot about Anne's character too that she kind of took that as a cautionary tale and was able to mend that relationship by the end so i love that I'm just going to remind you all here that there is that steamy romance adaptation of Anne of Green Gables called Anne of Manhattan that takes the enemies to lovers part of this really far. (laughs) I have to say that, Jen, I thought about that several times while I was listening to the book. I kept thinking, I mean, again, I haven't read that one, but I kept thinking about what you said about it and it would just cross my mind and I would be like, huh, well, that's interesting. Uh And I can see how for some people that is not the direction they want and of Green Gables to go in. <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. Well, we are going to move on to our next category, a quote to discuss. Ashley, what's the quote that you've chosen? So I thought that this was a very quotable book. I loved so many things that Anne said, and I appreciated that, especially early on in all of her monologuing and everything, that <laughs> they, were, they were childlike, but they were also brilliant. And I think that that was true of her as a character. But one of the quotes that really stood out to me was when she said, there's such a lot of different ands in me. 
I sometimes think that is why I'm such a troublesome person. If I was just the one aunt, it would be ever so much more comfortable, but then it wouldn't be half so interesting. And that just really struck me because I think that as complex people, that that is something that just really resonates. It resonates for me as a person, and I certainly see it in my own daughters that you know, it is all the sides of us and all the ways that we are different people every day and in different experiences and in different moments in our lives that make us who we are. But then sometimes I know for myself, I do just want to be just the one person <laughs> instead of all of these different layers and how much simpler things would be if I could do that and be that person all the time every day. And yet I think exactly what she says that of course it might be more comfortable, but it would not be nearly as interesting. And I just think that's really lovely. I think it's great for her character, but I also think it's a really beautiful thing to think about in our lives that the things we find frustrating in ourselves, it's easier to tolerate those things that we find so frustrating about ourselves when we remember that they are part of what make us this whole person and that without them, we wouldn't be that person. And I think we really see that there and we see it in so many of her life situations that, <laughs> that she finds yes. herself in that, you know, it's because of her exuberance and it's because of her imagination. It's because of all these really great things that she also has these like unfortunate events unfold that I think, it, I think it's great. So yeah, mm -hmm. that was a favorite for me. I love that one too. She's so, so sweet. Her self-awareness through the book is remarkable, but not unbelievable, which I think is really, really the hallmark of a great writer. And I mean, I, I, I think you can tell I like have fallen in love with this book and I'm like, I kind of just want to read all of the Anne of Green Gables uh -huh. books now. Oh, you should, you should. <laughs> They're so good. They are oh, like a cozy blanket or a warm hug or something. I just found it very enjoyable reading. Yes, yeah, Sarah, what's your quotation? So uh, like Ashley said, I thought this book was so quotable. I mean, there, I think like with Anne and the way that she's able to look at things and find these positive aspects, even in like terrible situations. And I, so I've marked a lot of quotes and I, I, so what I chose is one from toward the beginning. It's when Matthew has gone to the train station and and found that he has the wrong child, the wrong sex and all that stuff. And they're driving home. And this Anne says, I've made up my mind to enjoy this drive. It's been my experience that you can nearly always enjoy things if you make up your mind firmly that you will. Of course, you must make it up firmly. And I'm not going to think about going back to the asylum while we're having our drive. I'm just going to think about the drive. And I think like that just resonated with me so much is because I feel like I'm terrible at doing this. Like I let one thing like color and ruin something that could, so other things that could be joyful. I can't stop dwelling on that. And so when I read that about Anne and well, I read this quote from Anne in the beginning, I just was like, I just love you, Anne, because I wish I could look at the world that way. And, you know, you, she's coming from this horrible circumstance and she's been passed around and she is at this asylum where she doesn't have anybody to care for her individually and all of that. And she is just looking at this drive and like appreciating the beautiful things she sees. And I just thought that was, that just really impacted me a lot. So that's why I chose that. I love that one so much. And yeah, she just has that resolution through the book that if you can, you have to look at the positive side and she almost always can. She can, she can work through it. Yeah. Jen, what is your quote? Oh, I had such a hard time picking just one. So, all right. So this one is toward the end of the book. And she says, she's talking to Marilla about becoming sensible. And she says, I've learned a new and valuable lesson today. 
Ever since I came to Green Gables, I've been making mistakes, and each mistake has helped to cure me of some great shortcoming. The affair of the amethyst brooch cured me of meddling with things that didn't belong to me. <laughs> the haunted wood mistake cured me of letting my imagination run away with me. The liniment cake mistake <laughs> cured me of carelessness in cooking. Dyeing my hair cured me of vanity. I never think about my hair and nose now, at least very seldom. And today's mistake is going to cure me of being too romantic. I've come to the conclusion that it is no use trying to be romantic in Avonlea. It was probably easy enough in Tower Camelot hundreds of years ago, but romance is not appreciated now. I feel quite sure that you will soon see a great improvement in me in this respect, Marilla. And she says, I'm sure I hope so, said Marilla skeptically. I always love Marilla. But she's got the one-liners. <laughs> she's so good and it's just always so dry oh my gosh I love it but I, I love that for multiple reasons first of all I love it because she she is deluding herself a little bit here she never gets rid of the dedication to romance but I also think it, no one then talked about growth mindset but that's what it is it is this she is so open to making mistakes and learning from them and sincere in her attempts to do that and I just think the way that she looks back over her life and is like, well, I did all these things wrong, but I learned lessons from them. And now I'm just going to keep getting better. I just think it's so wonderful and such a great outlook. And I think Marilla and Matthew go a long way towards supporting her in that. But I think it's also innate. And I think she just tries again, like, like you both said, to look at, she tries to look at things from the best side she can. She's so resilient in what she's come through. And so, yeah, that was, that's the one I ultimately chose though. Of course there are many, many more. <laughs> I have book darts all through my little worn out edition of this book. Cause I just love it so much. Yeah. Yeah. I think that her earnest desire to continually improve herself <laughs> is just both endearing and also hilarious, you know, yes. <laughs> and I just really appreciate that part. Yeah. And then all of her monologuing, I, yeah. well, I think it's really cute in the book, but I have shared before, and Jen and Sarah know very well because they know my child, that <laughs> it, it is sometimes painful in real life when the monologues go on for pages and you're trying so hard to get in that one line somewhere in there. That all resonates for me, but it also, I think my child does this too, and I just really appreciate that, like this, like well, I've had all of these experiences and it's led me to this moment. And in this moment, I'm going to do this thing. And from now on, that is the way it's going to be. I'm yep. like, okay, okay. You know, and <laughs> I mean, just like with Anne, we know that, of course, it's impossible to right. turn away from that forever and to like never, you know, slip basically into whatever patterns of behavior. But it is that earnestness that I think we really see there that's really sweet. Yeah, I will say, Ashley, I did think of your daughter more than once while reading this book. <laughs> yeah, again, I feel like I'm trying not to overshare my personal life here. But I mean, I adore my daughter, of course. But it is like funny because when, when, when it is your daily life to have a very precocious child, sometimes it is trying to keep yourself together when you're like, I just need a one word answer. I don't think since my child could speak that I have ever received a one word answer. <laughs> For anything at all time. But sometimes like, I just need you to say yes or no. Like, please, please just say yes or no. But I mean, I think like Anne, I mean, she's very creative and very imaginative and, and just has so much going on in there and just a lot to share. And it's so sweet. And it is yeah. like for older people, you know, 
I do feel much older than my own children. And so I think it is that just imaginative nature and how it enriches my life. And it's such a joy to experience that with your kids or with, in this case, where they've adopted Anne in their older age. I think like it's just that your own mind doesn't do that anymore, but what a joy to experience it with a child and how much better your life is for it. I think all that's just yeah. really beautiful. Yeah. So much. Okay. So now we're going to move on to our pairings before I go off on another giddy tangent. (laughs) And Sarah, we're going to start with you. What is the pairing you have chosen? So I chose a book that I read a long time ago. I haven't done a reread, which I'm thinking like if I ever get a break in the reading commitments, I would like to do a reread of this, but I'm going with Daisy Faye and the Miracle Man. It's Fanny Flagg's first book. So Fanny Flagg is a very well-known author. She wrote Fried Green Tomatoes at the Whistle Stop Cafe. And I mean, she's pretty prolific in what she's written. But this is her first novel and it is written in journal format. And it starts when Daisy Faye is a little girl. It's set in 1952. She's in sixth grade. And so, I mean, a lot of similarities to Anne and age and that type of thing. And she is writing these journals about her life and her family. Her her dad is like a big fan of the get rich quick scheme. So he is always trying to find the next scheme and also defraud people of their money and things. And he oftentimes brings Daisy Faye with him. And so, but she's got this like astute awareness of the world and like what her dad's doing, but she still goes along with it. And she has this really hilarious way of portraying what is happening and in this child's voice, but it follows her all the way up through 18 where she is um, in a beauty pageant and all this stuff. And so there's like a, there's like this growing up that happens with her and this a realization of where she's come from and Like in the beginning, it feels like fun and fun times with her family. But then, uh, but like as she gets older, she realizes the things that have occurred are probably not what should have been occurring. And, you know, she has a complicated relationship with her family. So like what, what I think about, like, I think Anne and Daisy would be, um, or Daisy Faye would be kindred spirits and they, because they're both very precocious, they get themselves into a lot of really interesting situations and they have kind of a troubled backstory, you know, they, whereas Anne's an orphan, Daisy Faye has her parents, but it's a very unstable, unstable bringing up. And so I think like there are a lot of similarities in the two characters. I will say if you don't like child narrators, this is very, I mean, when Daisy starts her journal, it is written like a, a child. And so it's very good. But if you don't like that, you won't like this book. But I love this book. And there are lots of laugh out loud moments. It's not quite as sweet and tender as, as Anna Green Gables. But it, I think it would make a good pairing. So that is Fanny Flagg's Daisy Faye and the Miracle Man. I've never read that one. That sounds great. I've read Fried Green Tomatoes of the Whistle Stop Cafe. And maybe one more. But yeah, that sounds excellent. Yeah, I really liked it. And again, like I sometimes I <laughs> I hesitate to recommend books that I've read like years ago, but that book has stuck with me and I've read it several times. But again, sometimes when we read books like that we loved years ago, but through a different lens. So I do want to have that caveat there as well. But I do think like in Daisy and Anne, it's just, I mean, similar to Anne of Green Gables, it was written in 1908. So like when you read it through the lens of 2021, some things might not hold up as well. But I do think that they are 
similar in character and spirit. So I wanted to recommend that one. Sounds like a great pairing. Ashley, how about you? The one I want to share, I'll say in a minute, but I hadn't thought about Roll Dolls Matilda, but I feel like that would be a great pairing uh, yeah. for this too. Yes. So I'm not going to do that one as my pairing in part because I haven't read it in a very long time since I was a child, but also because I you know, want to stick, stay the course here. But I just, <laughs> when you were saying that, Sarah, it just about like the family being, you know, kind of scandalous and what they were doing and like her being somewhat involved because she can't help it. I mean, I still remember things about like Matilda's dad and he put the sawdust in the cars oh to like sell the cars, to people, you know, <laughs> uh-huh. so it was like that like same kind of thing of like a child who is beyond their years and, mm-hmm. and very aware. Anyway. Yeah, um, that's a great... To- yeah, Great when idea. you were seeing it, I was like, oh my gosh, I hadn't thought about that book in a long time, but I really loved it when I was a kid, and I think it would be a good fit. But the one I wanted to share is Alan Bradley's The Sweetness at the Bottom of the Pie. Oh, that is such a good idea. When I saw uh-huh. that listed, I was like, that is a great one. So I read this one because of Jen and Sarah and the things that they said about cozy mysteries. I've shared before on here that I have been looking for some to enjoy, and that has been great. I have definitely read some of those in the last couple of years for the first time, really, and And this is one of the ones that I read recently and just absolutely loved. But I'm choosing it because Flavia DeLuce, who is the main character there, is definitely a kindred (laughs) spirit of Mm -hmm. Anne. And she just, she just, even though it is, it's a very different, um, I mean, it's a cozy mystery. So you're getting much more the angle of like, she's solving, she's solving things and she's trying to figure them out. But her precociousness, her imagination, her her determination to find her own way even though it's different from everyone else like all of that I just think is so reminiscent of Anne so I think that although the genres are different and the time period for the writing is different there are a mm-hmm. lot of similarities as far as the setting of the book is not so far removed from Anne so it is a later time period but it still feels you know, I, I think it's right after World War II ish is right around when this is set. So but you do have that feeling of like it having happened in the past. But I think that there's just so many things that reminded me so much of the character. And we've done episodes before where we've talked about characters who would be friends with each other. And I definitely think that is true here that they, (laughs) they would be friends, they would get into all sorts of trouble. So I'm going to stick with that one. So that is Alan Bradley's The Sweetness at the Bottom of the Pie. And that's the first in the Flavia Deleuze series. And she does not it doesn't travel through time like Anne of Green Gables does, but there is a continuation of the series. So you can still get that momentum through time with a character. So, I yeah, love that. that also so good on audio yeah. too. Jane Entwistle is such a great narrator for that series. Yeah, I want to. I want to continue with that series too. I love the first one, and yeah, I, I would like to continue with that. It's really good. Same. I mean, I think some of the things we were describing about just like feeling comforted by the story and enjoying that experience of being part of the journey. I think you really get that there too. Jen, what's your pairing? I chose Louisa May Alcott's Little Women and for a multitude of reasons. I think the biggest one is just the feeling I get. And part of it's that a book I loved as a child that I have revisited as an adult and found new things to love. I listened to this one before the Greta Gerwig adaptation came out. It's It had been a while since I read it. And so I listened to it on audio and it was another one that just felt like, like a friend again. And I think 
there is that same reverence for storytelling and for nurturing girls' imaginations. It is set in the 1860s and was written in the 1860s. So the time period, again, it's not quite right, but I think you get that same sense of parents, adults who understand kids, who you know support their flights of fancy and yet are also there to be realistic and to anchor them and to tell them that what they're doing is wrong. Sometimes I think I thought about Joe first, but I really, I don't think it's a one-to-one match. I think it's more just the spirit of the girls and seeing them put on their shows and act things out and just love each other and be open to the world that I think connects those two for me. So that is Louisa May Alcott's Little Women. I highly recommend it in print and on audio. And again, the adaptations for both, I think are, are wonderful. Little Women has more adaptation. Oh, I haven't watched the new Anne of Green Gables adaptation, but I love every adaptation of Little Women I've ever seen, I think is fantastic. So I think there are also some great adaptations out there. So yeah, that's my pick. That's a great one too. Yes, I would like to revisit that one. That's another one that I only hazily remember that I think I've read, but I'm not positive. So I certainly know the story, but I read... When we talked about the retellings this year, I read more to the story, which is Hina Han's middle grade retelling of Little Women. And it was just so beautiful and it made me want to read it. So yeah, I'd like to revisit that one. All right. Well, we are going to move on now to our bookish hearts. Sarah, how many bookish hearts do you have? Five bookish one? hearts. <laughs> I love Ashley, this. How about, oh. <laughs> Ashley, how about you? I feel some pressure here, but I'm going to stick with four. Four bookish hearts for me. What about you, Jen? And if I could give it more than five, I would. But yes, I will, I will stick with five. I feel like, I mean, I feel like Anne of Green Gables is right up Jen and mine's alley. Like, I think that that, that it does not, it is not surprising that we are like gushing about it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Reading it now, I can see how it was off-putting to me as a child, but it is the kind of story that I really enjoy now. But it's definitely the kind of thing that, again, I remembered it quite differently than the way that it is. Like, I remembered her being perfect, kind of, but it, but it uh, was that, like, feeling of, this is what I'm supposed to like. This is, you know, and I never did well with that. It will surprise no one who yeah. knows me well that I, <laughs> I feel like I've come a long way. I Like Anne, there are a lot of Ashleys in me, but some of them are now more agreeable to that. But, you know, I think there is that feeling before. But now it's just such a joy. It's such a joy as a parent. It's such a joy as someone who gets to experience life with young people that to read about her her journey. So, All right. We are going to close out today with our Give Me One. And today's topic is from Jody, And this is one favorite piece of jewelry. So, Ashley, what would you say? So I think that's a hard question because jewelry is like something that is really special and mm-hmm. I have several pieces that I absolutely love. Yeah. And actually I'm going to change from the one I have there. <laughs> so I listed one on the sheet, but now I'm like, nope, there's another one I like even better. One that I absolutely love speaking of my precocious oldest child is that a few years ago when she was quite young, she was probably three or four. My husband had her do a drawing of our family and made it into a necklace. And so it's all four of us and it's just really sweet and it's kind of funny looking, but it's also really, (laughs) really beautiful. And I have both the framed picture that she drew and also the necklace version where the artist on Etsy 
had cut out the people in the drawing and it's just really special and I absolutely love it. So that's probably my favorite piece. I love that one too. Yeah. Sarah, how about you? So like Ashley said, I have a lot of jewelry. I tend to, my jewelry tends to mean something like when I wear it, it's like, oh, so someone gave me this or, oh, I remember this time. So, and I mean, of course I love my, I feel like I say I love my engagement ring and my wedding band, (laughs) but I'm going to pick when during the pandemic, I didn't get to see my sister or my friend, Noel, who is also like a sister to me for a year, a long time. And, um, like in person. And so we, so I got them these bracelets and we all three have them and we wear them all the time and they're just silver bracelets. But on the inside it's engraved and it says we're best friends because everyone else sucks, which we don't really believe that. (laughs) But it's just something about like wearing that bracelet and knowing that it's like that little funny, like tongue in cheek thing and that we all wear it even when we're not together, especially like during the pandemic. And so it just gives me, it makes me smile every time I see it. So I, I just really like that piece. I like it. I like it because it goes with everything. And then I just like that it has that little like funny joke on the inside of it, like between the three of us. And so it just means, it means something to me. So that's yeah, sweet. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Jen, how about you? Yeah. So mine is definitely sentimental as well. I'm going to talk about some earrings that I've actually, I don't know that I've ever worn them, but my dad, he was like one of those people who seems really tough, but he had this super sentimental streak. And when I was in high school, he gave me these diamond earrings. They were, I mean, you could barely see the diamonds, like they're chips, but he said he wanted to be the first person to give me diamonds. And so he gave those to me. So yeah, I still, those mean, those mean a lot. So Good question, Jody. I like this one. <laughs> yes. Jody's on fire with the give me one topic. I know she is. <laughs> all right. Well, we want to thank you all for listening. We would love to know your thoughts about Anne of Green Gables. And don't forget that if you are interested in Libro FM, you can go to our website, unabridgedpod.com slash partners and get a great deal there for an audiobook. Thanks again for listening. Do you have comments or opinions about what you heard today? We'd love to hear them. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at UnabridgedPod or on the web at unabridgedpod.com for ways to support us. To get more involved, you can sign up for our newsletter, join a buddy read, or become an ambassador. Thanks for listening to Unabridged.